Hello, podcaster. It's Charlie here, bringing you another episode of The Business of Podcasting. In today's episode, you'll be joined just by me as we go through my greatest failures as a podcaster. Now, this episode came to be because earlier in the week, I was recording with a very well-established podcaster who I won't name yet because they have a big episode coming out, but both of us being such veterans in the game now and been doing podcasting for so long, we got chatting and laughing particular about all the mistakes we'd made on this journey. And I realized at the end of that conversation that these are some really powerful insights that I should be sharing with you because I think that trial and error is the dumbest way to do anything in life when you can learn from the experience of others. And that's what I really want you to do here. I want you to recognize, hopefully laugh at, and really learn from some of the failures I've gone through on my podcasting journey. Now, to give you some context, I've recorded over 500 episodes now between being a guest on shows, having people on my shows. Um, and across five podcasts that I've had in this journey. And it's certainly been a fantastic experience. Now, the nature of this episode is I've broken it down into four sections because I wanted to kind of give different perspectives to areas. So, Section one is the tech. I'm going to talk about the tech mistakes I've made, when microphones have failed, what went wrong there, and then what you can do about it. The second part is the content. I'm going to talk to you guys about the failures I've made with making great podcast content and how you can really make much better podcast content. The next area is promotion. I'm going to talk about the areas where we've made terrible failures in promoting episodes and really growing the show. And in the last component towards the very end, I'm going to talk about strategy. And I really want to talk about poor strategic decisions I made that really let down the whole show. And honestly, I think that's probably going to be the most valuable section if you get through to that endpoint there. Now, before we get into this episode, if you haven't already, please make sure you do subscribe to this show and let other podcasters know about it. We want to get the word out there and help as many podcasters as we can here at Vela Media and really take podcasting to a new level for everyone uh, that's doing this stuff. All right, let's head into the content itself. And I want to bring you along the the journey of my greatest failures as a podcaster. All right, this is section one of my greatest failures as a podcaster, and that's going to be the technology side. I don't think there's a podcaster out there that's been doing this for a while that hasn't had challenges with technology. I'm going to start going through some of mine and then talk about some things I've put in place to make the tech as easy and reliable as possible. So my biggest failure number one here is I once did a podcast with a guest and just forgot to hit record. The guest came on to the interview on Zoom. We started chatting. I got ready for the episode and we went through it only to realize at the end that I didn't hit the record button. So I kid you not, there is a great interview. Well, I'll say it was great, but there was an interview that I recorded that never actually, or I should say created, that never got recorded and then couldn't have been released. So this was a huge mistake by getting too excited at the start of an interview when talking with the guest that we didn't actually hit the record button. Second one on my list here is that as I was recording an episode or this time I remembered to record the episode, I didn't check what the microphone input was on my computer. And unfortunately, what that meant is I spent the whole time talking into a microphone like I am in front of me 
only it wasn't switched on. It was actually the MacBook uh, microphone switched on. So when we checked the recordings, there was nothing but echo. It was so echoey. It wasn't usable. So unfortunately, once again, this was an episode that we never actually aired. The sound was so bad from my side that it wasn't a usable episode. If I'd only checked and put one little switch or just checked that microphone input, would have been completely different. But unfortunately, that was a failed interview. Number three on my list here is that I recorded a video episode. So I was making, just like you're watching now, if you are on video, I was making a video podcast episode, um, except we didn't have any lights at this point. So I was relying on daylight to record this episode. And as the sun went down, I just got darker and darker to the point where it was almost pitch black. So the interview itself, if anyone ever watches this video, is that over the 30 minutes of the interview, it almost goes to pitch black. And it's so distracting that if anyone ever sees that episode, which we've pulled it down, this is from a previous show, but if you ever went through that uh, actual episode, you would be more distracted by me going into darkness than the quality itself. So huge tech mistake there once again. Number four on my list here for technology mistakes is that I was moving house and I still needed to record a podcast episode. So what I actually did is I thought it would be okay to record in the new house, but I didn't take into account the reflective nature of the room. So to give you some contrast, this room had a tiled floor and then lots of big plaster walls. And when we recorded the actual episode, there was just immense amount of echo, like the wall bounce was actually unusable. So when I finished up that recording in itself, what happened was when I looked at it in post-recording, I was hopeful that my editors would be able to clean it up, but it was just not salvageable. It was another interview that had gone to waste by uh, effectively the room in this case here. Number five on my list here for technology mistakes is that I didn't brief my guests well enough on how they needed to be set up um, so that we could record a high quality interview. And I'll go through this one a little bit more deeply because I feel like this is one that applies to podcasters quite a lot. And there's still podcasters to this day who have issues with this one here. What I think is really important if you have guests that come onto your podcast is that you let them know how you need them to be set up. I once had someone come on a podcast where they were recording in a cafe with AirPods and the audio was just basically like the background of their cafe. It wasn't a very good audio quality. So if you are doing interviews with guests, then I highly recommend you let them know, hey, you need to be somewhere quiet. Ideally, you want to have a good microphone and you don't want to be just using like your MacBook uh, microphone or your computer microphone and really putting some intention behind how you want them to prepare for the interview so you can get a high quality sound and potentially video for them. And another one that's just a little funny one here is that I once recorded a podcast interview, a video interview, and it was quite clear that the guest hadn't picked up we were actually doing video. So the entire time we're recording this video and we're both on a Zoom interview together, you can see he's just like wandering around, just looking at this, maybe picking up his phone, still talking and participating in the interview. He wasn't being rude at all, but you could see that he just wasn't aware of what the interview was in itself. 
12. And then the last one here, number six on my technology list of technology mistakes is only recording on one device. Now, what I mean by that is if you are someone who records, let's say, interviews on Zoom, then I would highly recommend that you also record with ScreenFlow or use a second way to capture the interview just in case for whatever reason the file was going to go corrupt. Now, I will say this is much less frequent than it used to be, but once upon a time, I would record podcast interviews and then the files would be corrupted at the end and unusable. So it's really, really smart if you can make sure you record on multiple devices just if there's any point of failure with the tech, that there's a way to kind of come back from that. Now, I want to loop back round to this technology one because there's quite a few points that I opened with that I actually didn't resolve or talk my way through here. What I do today to make sure I have a lot less issues with technology or human error integrating with the technology is I have a pre-interview checklist. So before I actually start, I always make sure I check that I hit the record button that the right microphone input and camera is selected, that we've got lights in the room and they're turned on and set so if the daylight doesn't change, that it'll all work smoothly. And I think it's really important for all podcasters to get really acquainted with their tech, know how to use it well, but then also take them out of the equation. Take your use out of the tech out of the equation by having that pre-checklist of how you can kind of use your tech efficiently. And still to this day, I do it. I've done it for years now. And I reckon I've probably saved quite a number of interviews that never would have been released, should I not. So that's my big thing with technology. I'm not going to talk specifically about equipment in this area, but it's more about the use of tech and how it applies to technology mistakes. So there's a couple of things I'd really encourage you to do here. One, make your own checklist. Make your pre-interview tech checklist um, or pre-solo episode like I'm doing now, uh, tech checklist, so you can ensure you're going to get a really good recording. And then part two of that is to make sure that you brief your guests, make sure you let your guests know of like how you would like them to prepare and be equipped for your interviews yourself. And I'm going to throw in a third one. I said it was only two, but three parts here of going, have a secondary recording device. Always make sure to record with a backup just so you can make sure you will get that interview from there. Part two, I'm going to talk about my greatest failures as a podcaster when it comes to the content. So when I say the content, I mean the words that are coming out of my mouth or potentially my guest's mouth. And this is a really, really important topic for podcasters. I would argue probably the most important topic. If your content isn't great, um, then you have very little chance, if no chance, of having a successful show. So I'm going to go with my first one here. Early on in my podcasting career, I was very influenced by Joe Rogan. I quite liked the Joe Rogan podcast, and he would do these epic interviews. And what that led me to do is thinking it was suitable for me to do these really, really long interviews. Now, what ended up happening as a part of this is that I would take way too long to actually get to the meat of this podcast interview. So I would have a guest on and we would spend the first 30 minutes just digging into their backstory, talking about how they got to where they are to now. And like, you may not actually hear about their expertise or where the most value is for my audience until 
really, really deep into the interview itself. Now, granted, sometimes these conversations were fantastic and really interesting, but overwhelmingly, it wasn't serving my audience at the best level. So something I do today, and you'll probably even notice this if you do listen to the show regularly, is we get into it. We don't particularly ask a lot about people's backstories. We don't particularly ask a lot into stuff that isn't relevant for the show. And I I really like to stay away from things which I think are really, really irrelevant, such as, you know, how's the weather? Or, you know, how are you doing over there? I think there's some obsession in podcasts where they're like amazed that someone is in another location potentially. So whenever you're doing a podcast, my big tip here, or the thing I think you can learn from this mistake I made for a long time is get to the meat, like start jamming that value into your episodes and making it very, very focused on being valuable for your audience. Now, keep in mind, in a lot of cases, your audience will be listening to your show on a commute. They only may have 30 minutes or less. So maybe Making sure you can jam as much value into that time and getting to the bulk of your episode will dramatically improve the quality of your content. Next one on the list here, number two on this list with uh, mistakes in or my greatest failures in content was being fake. So I don't even know why this happens or why it's really common, but when we do make podcasters, especially a lot of new podcasters, is that we don't let our true self kind of come out. We be this fake version of yourself. And this has come out many times on the podcast as I've talked to other people is they're almost this uh, perceivably perfect character. And my view here is, is that by not letting my personality come out, it really stopped people from knowing if they could like me or if they related to me on a real level. And I think this is important as podcasters because it's such an intimate relationship you share with the fans of your show. Like you're in their ears are constantly having that intimate conversation and they don't want someone fake in there. In fact, they can smell the fake people out and they don't trust them. So as soon as I started being more authentic, really, really being more of my own version of who I am, vulnerable and all, the real version of me, the better my show has become. And it's also actually made it a lot more fun to record. I realized when I was being fake that it was draining me of a whole lot of energy because I had to put on this mask or facade, where if anyone meets me who listens to this show or people that have been on the show will realize that this is just me. This is the version of me that you get. And I think that's made a huge difference overall. So the second one here is like being yourself. Don't be that fake version or who you think people want you to be. Like be you on your show. It definitely makes a difference. Number three on the list, um, this happened early on and I laugh because uh, I'll tell the story that goes with it, but there was a really powerful uh, powerful lesson within this. Early on in my, I'll say second podcast, I managed to land a very big name on my show and I was so excited to have this guest come on the show. Like this was someone I'd looked up to for a long time, someone who had a huge influence on my life, someone whose work I'd followed for a really long time and um, when they even in preparing for that interview I spent so much time researching practicing questions like I was very very well rehearsed and ready to go and when the guest came on the podcast interview I actually got starstruck 
Like I actually was so amazed that this person was here talking to me that I did a terrible job of interviewing them. Their stardom in my eyes was very, very distracting and the episode itself turned out incredibly poor value to my audience because instead of putting my audience first, I was the one starstruck interviewing this person. Now, if I could have my time over again, I'm certain I would be able to create such a better uh, interview now, but I was quite young and just didn't know how to handle a really big name coming on the show. And I think it's something until it happens, you may not be able to prepare for. Even as I tell you this, someone could come on your show and you still may not be able to do it. But I want to give you the warning here or what to expect that even in those moments when you have a big name on your show, you've got to be able to maintain the value for your audience. Really important one there. Uh, Next one on the list is... uh, Again, I once had someone come on my show who was doing the rounds because of a book launch. So this person had released a book and they were trying to get on as many podcasts as they could so that they could get the word out for the book. Now, I did my usual preparation for this, but unfortunately what happened here is that the guest kind of gave the same interview that they were giving everywhere else. So as I asked my questions, he just went into the same stories he'd been rehearsing and wanting to release. Uh, to get his book out there. So the problem for me here was that I ended up with some podcast content that was really just the same interview that he'd been recording elsewhere. So if you listen to any other interviews with this guest, then you were just hearing the same thing. There was no unique value or really any reason to listen to the episode that I made. So when I have a guest on now, and let's say I was having a book, uh, someone who released a book come on my podcast again, I would be very, very careful in the way I ask questions to give uh, truly unique content that this guest won't have said before so that my podcast episode can cut through the noise. Um, so really important here is to not give the same interview that someone's trying to give elsewhere. You've got to have that unique spin. You've got to have that unique thing for your show to stand out. And it's really about creating creating a piece of content that someone can't get anywhere else. Like there's nowhere else to get this unique piece of content. Next one on the list, which again, a mistake many podcasters make early on, myself included, was when I had a guest on the show is I used to just agree with them. Like someone would come on the show and I'll give you a very, very like, this is a polarizing example, but like, let's say one week I had a vegan on the show and I'd be like, yeah, plant-based. And then next week uh, a heavy meat eater would come on the show. I'm like, yeah, it's meat. I never actually had an opinion on things within my own show. And I would often come across just agreeing with my guests and being very passive. Now this could be challenging, especially if the person you have brought on your show is someone of a high reputation or someone that you look up to. But if someone on your podcast says something you don't agree with, that's a fantastic opportunity to challenge them on that point, to talk through and discuss that from a different angle and see if you can almost create some friction. And I know that will sound weird, but I think it's a good thing to create opposing views and drama within your own show because your audience will be very interested in that. The other side of that is when you just agree with people that come onto your show and you don't have an opinion and you are that passive is your audience doesn't really trust you. They very much just can tell, oh, he's just going along with everyone else. Like he's never forming something of his own view and opinion. And if you do listen to the business of podcasting enough, you will see that I have very 
strong views on podcasting and how I think it is done successfully. So that's something I portray. And if a guest comes on that I don't agree with, I want to challenge with them on that. I want to have the debate on that. And that's not about being right or wrong or having someone believe what I believe, but it's about presenting unique points of view and the differences in things, which can be incredibly powerful for your audience. Next one on the list when it comes to content is not spending enough time on research and preparation. Now, to give you some ideas, uh, I know I'm recording this right now, but this podcast episode might end up being about 30 minutes long, let's say. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but in reality is that I've probably spent a couple of hours on this already just preparing the points that I want to talk about from here. And I think very early on in my own journey, I used to practically just hit record and like hope something good would come out or I would get on a call with someone and just like, we'll work this out on the fly. It'll be spontaneous. And I've just come to realize that's not true at all for for me. It might be for some out there, but I really notice a significant increase in the quality of the content when I spend the time researching and going through a potential guest, or in the case of a solo episode here of like spending the time to really strategically think about what I want to get across to my audience within this episode. So this episode is very well planned out. Like I do spend the time on this to make it great. And if you will notice in my interviews with guests is you can tell I've listened to their podcast or I've read their book or I've gone through all their web presence so that I can ask high quality questions that are going to offer my audience uh, value from there. Now, I never want them to come out scripted. I never want my interviews or questions or anything to look rehearsed, but I like to be prepared so we can make some, what I like to believe is truly high quality content that my audience is going to get a lot of value from. Next one here, and this one uh, is a, if I could go back in time, this would be a a game changer for me with content. A lot of podcasters um, only cover the topic once. And what I mean by that is you might bring up a topic that it's truly valuable to your audience and then just never talk about it again with the idea that you've already spoken about it. And something I've come to realize is that if you are talking about a topic that your audience uh, truly loves and values and is of high value to them and helps them solve problems, you should keep talking about it from different angles with different guests on your own with a panel. Like you should go deeper into the audience topics that your audience values the most. So not just talking about things once. And then on the other side of that, if you bring on a guest to your podcast, if you are an interview style show, then just bringing a a great guest on once is a waste. If you bring someone on that your audience loves and offers a whole bunch of value, bring them on four times a year. Like if someone's great, there's no reason to do it once. If a topic's popular, there's no reason to do it once. Go deeper into the places and topics and people that your audience wants to know more about and hear repeatedly on. All right. So that's the end of this content section from here. Um, Lots to talk about here. This is quite a big section. In the next section, we'll be talking about promotion. Alrighty, let's get into this one. This one's going to be some fun. This is my greatest failures when it comes to promoting a podcast or marketing a podcast. And I think the first thing I want to say here, I'll preface this by, is that it's really good to experiment with things and try new things when it comes to podcast promotion. I don't want this to discourage any of these things. 
but these are ones that I would particularly avoid uh, in general. So a little bit of grain of salt here, but like my own experience has these be great failures and I think there's much better ways to do it today. So number one is that when we used to release a podcast, we would do what I think of as blasting it out continually to everyone. So what we used to do is put it on every social media platform, regardless if the audience was relevant to our show or not. We used to actually publish it, or I should say promote it or put a post on these networks several times a day throughout the week. So we're just constantly putting up new posts to get people to it. And then we also used to promote within like groups. Again, didn't matter if they were relevant or not. And then also share circles. So other podcasters sharing other podcasters stuff. And ultimately what I would say is that this is actually spam. We were actually spamming. I look back on this and I'm like, oh, this is disgraceful. And what's upsetting is podcasters still do it. The worst thing you can do for your show is spam it out there into the world and just hope the right people are going to find it. Like it's a terrible approach. And not only that, it's probably against the terms and services of a lot of the platforms these days as well. The way I like to think about promotion or marketing a show uh, today is that you really want to get high quality content that will improve the lives and solve the problems of your audience and then put it in places where they can actually decide that they want it. So they can opt in to wanting your content instead of you just like forcing it down their throat. And just think about it like this, you know, we all can agree, if you're listening to this podcast, especially, I'm sure you will, that like telemarketing, like no one likes telemarketing of just someone like ringing your phone and like asking you for irrelevant things. But if we're Googling for something and we're looking for that thing, like that's the type of approach we want to take. So if I'm Googling for a plumber and I call a plumber and then that plumber can come and solve my problem, like that's great. Like that's the way we want to think about podcast marketing. So when it comes to promotion these days, I think the blast approach is dead. Stay away from that. We tried it. It definitely doesn't work and probably does damage to your show. And then be selective about getting it in the right in front of the right people in the right places to actually improve the lives of people. Second one on the list here is that for a long time in one of my earlier shows, we built our audience on platforms we didn't own. Um, And this, it sucked so hard. And I'll give you some examples here. We built up Facebook pages, Facebook groups, uh, LinkedIn pages, and I suppose personal profiles, and pretty much every other social network. And like years ago, it was awesome. You used to just publish your uh, content up there and the people that had liked or opted into those groups would get shown that content. But unfortunately, as things changed in social media land and as they keep doing on social media land, we actually got restricted in reaching the people that had liked our stuff. And huge mistake, huge, huge mistake, which ties into my point three, but I'll keep it in point two here is that we didn't build our lists on platforms we own or owned our audience. So what I mean by that, and I will cut into point three now, is that we didn't have an email list for our podcast. So what that meant is that if All our audience was on these social platforms and these social platforms restricted who could see our content. Our promotion just died and it died in a big way. What I wish I'd done in hindsight was built an email list along the way and put a lot of effort into actually taking podcast listeners onto my email list as well. 
Now, again, you can see this in action on the business of podcasting. I'm constantly making call to actions to come and be on our email list because I don't want to rely on these social platforms. If people want this show content and want to be updated in becoming a better podcaster, then the email list is really, really the valuable way to do that. So if you're not already, I would really say that you have to take email marketing seriously as a podcaster. It's also an incredibly powerful platform to reach your audience and engage with them further as well. So there's so many wins to have with it, but no no email list as point number three, a massive mistake and failure as me as a podcaster. Number four is an interesting one. Um, essentially, I would have guests come on my podcast and then just never tell them that their episode was live. And I know this might sound silly because it's such an easy win, but I was just so caught up in running the other things within my business. So we would release episodes with great guests who were willing to share their content. And then we would just never tell them that the podcast episode was live. Or worse, we would tell them the podcast episode was live, but then we didn't actually make it easy for them to share the content or how to share the content or how we could help them share the content. So again, a huge failure in my mind. I think I've missed out on a lot of downloads and a lot of show growth over the years just by not making it easy or letting my guests know how to share the episode that they've been on. And we live in a busy world. We live in busy times. I would really say that you have to follow up with your guests more than once. It is a very good chance that they're not being rude but they just need a little reminder because they may be busy in other times. And I'll give you a little uh, just tip or hint here that I think can really help with this section. Whenever I interview a guest and they come on the show, I always like to ask them in the interview if they would be willing to share and like what's the way to make it easy for them. And when you do that, it sets an expectation of what's to come. So they know you're going to be sending them the stuff and then you also know how to make it easy for them. But there's a little like hidden psychology or psychological thing here, I should say, is that if the guest is agreed to promote it or share the content on the interview with them, then they're much more likely to actually do it because they've already opted into, yes, that's something I'm going to do and I don't want to go back on my word. So really important with guests to do that early. All right. And then... Yeah. So number five on the list, I think this is an interesting one, is that we would only promote content once. So for example, let's say I'm someone who is a podcaster and I release a weekly episode. After the week has gone in which that episode was published, you might as well throw it in the bin. And I think this is a huge mistake. It's a great failure of mine where we did a show with so many episodes and we never promoted the old content. I think if you've got evergreen content or podcast episodes that have become relevant in a new form, re-promoting older content can be an incredibly powerful way to do that. Another way I would look at it is if you've had a particularly successful episode, like if you've got a couple of standout episodes that have done really well for your podcast, then it is a huge mistake and it was a failure to only um, promote them once. And I look back on that now and go, and there were so many episodes that did really well that we could have re-promoted six months later to different people or new people that had that problem now. Number six on the promotion one, and this could have almost been in the content section, but I left it in the promotion section because this is where we felt the impact, is when we released subpar content. So if I'd ever made a podcast episode that wasn't up to scratch, it wasn't a good quality episode, I should have binned it. Even if it annoyed the guest, even if it... um, 
disrupted my release pattern. I don't think it is ever acceptable to release poor quality content. And if you think about it, if you release a podcast episode out and someone listens to that and it's terrible, there is very little chance that they'll ever listen to any new content from you. They're not going to listen to another podcast episode because they've already graded you and said, look, this is average. So for me, I published some episodes really heavily that were not the greatest content, but maybe had a really good headline. I'd written a really killer headline where someone would want to listen to them, but then it was just a poor quality content. And no one would have had the reason to come back to the show. So big failure of mine is releasing that poor quality or subpar content. If you record an episode that is not up to scratch, my recommendation is, as I've said, just bin it. But I want to reinforce that here and saying, do not release subpar. Uh, content, only release exceptional content on your podcast. This is the last section now, the strategic failures I have had podcasting. Now, it's an interesting one because I think a lot of these get ignored and these aren't topics discussed by podcasters. I really hope you can learn from some of the failures I've had here and make better decisions than I did at the time. So number one, strategically, the worst decision I made, absolutely number one on this list, is I made a podcast I wanted to make instead of making a podcast that an audience wants. So to give you an insight, at this point in my life, I was researching and doing things that I thought was interesting. So what I naturally assumed is that what I think is interesting other people are going to think is interesting. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Maybe I'm a weirdo or maybe there was a lot of competition in this space already, but overwhelmingly what was true is that I wasn't creating a podcast that people wanted. What was worse is I got really, really frustrated in why this podcast wouldn't grow or why I wasn't achieving any of the things I wanted to achieve with this podcast. What really changed for me is when I recognized this mistake. So as soon as I started making podcasts that people wanted, it was so much easier to get what I wanted from a show. And I almost can't believe this. So what I would really encourage you to understand is that the focus really needs to shift away from you. I think for myself at this time, it was ego driving this is I almost wanted to be significant or have some significance in my life instead of creating something of value from an audience. So to do better here and what I changed was that I spent a lot more time understanding the needs of my audience and what was more valuable to them. And specifically, I would interview and survey my clients. I would do surveys in Facebook groups. I would uh, read the comments and questions in Facebook groups and Reddit groups. I would read the reviews on Amazon products. I would understand what books they buy. And the more time I spent researching and understanding my audience, the easier it became to make things that they actually wanted. And my big tip here is that you need to do the same. This is something that can't be underdone. The better you know your audience and the better you become at making things they want, the easier everything else is. Promotion becomes easier. Um, Knowing what guests to get and what to talk about becomes easier and monetization becomes easier. It all becomes easier to have a successful podcast if you follow that point. 
Point number two here is that I started a podcast without any real goal from it. I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I knew it wanted it to be related to my business in way and I just kind of started one, but I didn't set any goals. And this was a huge mistake strategically because without setting any goals, we kind of didn't set anything up right to achieve anything. So to talk specifically here, if a business is doing a podcast strategically to get more clients, that would be a very, very different show than creating one that would be focused on retaining good clients or nurturing clients or converting leads into clients. So I think you've got to be clear before you start, like what's the one goal you want to get from this podcast? Where does this fit into my business? And like, how will I measure success? And the more specific you can be with that, the easier it is to define strategies and tactics that will help you get there. I see this a lot still in a lot of the shows I do review or I do look after that I've come through and acknowledge that sometimes people are trying to do too much with one podcast and they would get a far better result if they just focused in on one area. Next one strategically here is that I created a podcast in too broad of a niche. Now, you've probably heard me mention this many times on the podcast before, and you'll actually also hear many of our guests have said the same thing, is that they found success once they found a small enough audience. And I stay small enough in this case. I started a podcast for general business. Now, to fill you in on that, I started literally every business owner in the world I wanted this podcast to be suitable for, and that was such a huge mistake because it made it incredibly hard to make relevant content for them. And it was a massive failure. So to give you an idea is that by by making it for everyone, it kind of became for no one. And it also made it an absolute nightmare to find guests or to find topics because we were trying to make content that would please everyone instead of just being good for a really specific audience. So if you look at my show now, I mean, it's incredibly specific that it's for podcasters. And what is great about that is that allows me to talk really distinctly to podcasters and the things that will help them the most. Now, this one kind of ties into the last point, but I wanted to make it a point of their own is that In a podcast, I made the podcast way too wide for the business offering. And I'll I'll explain this one in a little bit more clarity is that I had a business offering at the time. uh, It was a marketing offering that I wanted to offer. But unfortunately, the show I had created, which was that show was for general business. Now, because the podcast didn't align with the business offering, you can be sure that we never generated any leads or made any sales because of that podcast. So just such a strategically misaligned move. If you have a podcast with the goal of getting more business or a particular type of business, you want to make that content and podcast as specific as you can for the ideal client. So example here, like I have Vela Media, we are a podcast media company, and then I have a podcast for podcasters. So if you have a podcast, it's very aligned to the business offering I have. But let's say I had a general marketing show, podcasting is only for a very specific group of people in there and it would not apply to everyone. So aligning your business and podcast and aligning them as closely as possible to be for your ideal client can make a huge difference in the success you will have when it comes to outcomes there. 
All right, number five on the list, and this one is a funny one. (laughs) We did a podcast and we did 100 episodes and we never had a call to action. So I had made the assumption that people would just naturally find their way to my business or would just work out what we could offer them or how we could help them. And again, I come to realize this is a massive failure, massive mistake, something I wish I could do after is that when it comes to podcasting, having a call to action and letting people know the logical next steps of how they can work with you or how they can get more from you is really important. I don't like to let my audience assume anything. I really want them to know how I can help them more and what more they can do with me. Um, And I think that's really something that still many podcasters don't do today. So having a CTA would have really reversed this. And then also bringing that awareness to what people can do with me. And really, I think about it when it comes to selling from a podcast, if you've got a podcast where you help a particular audience, it's your obligation if you can help them get a better, faster or cheaper result in an area that they may be struggling with and want your help. So that's number five here, just having a call to action that you will see we have definitely recovered from in this show, but really important one. Last one on the list here is not building on the relationships. So I've done many podcasts and got to spend time with so many uh, guests. And something I look back on as a massive failure is that having a really good conversation with a guest, and then that's the last interaction we ever have. It's not something where I've gone and done more things with these people. And when I think about it, why this was such a failure is there was so many opportunities to do joint ventures. There was so many opportunities to make more great podcasts. There were so many opportunities for me to be a guest on podcasts or do content for that guest. And it just never got done. It seemed like rather than building on and going deeper with the relationships I'd created for my podcast, that I was just always on to the next guest itself or always trying to create the next relationship in thinking that that would get me much further. Something I'm very focused on today that I do different strategically here is that when I have a guest on my podcast is I'm thinking about what are the deeper things that could exist here and would they be suitable um, to do more episodes with, to make more things with. And one of the things I really recommend here is that when you record, always allow a bit of extra time with your recording. So when I record an episode of the business of podcasting, I generally allow about an hour and 15 minutes. The recording itself may only take about 30 minutes to 40 minutes. Um, Of course, there's some prep time in, but I also leave a bit of extra time so I can get to know the guest and really feel out if there's more that could be done here. Is there, you know, strategic alliances or JBs we could do, affiliate stuff, more content, the list goes on. But really, doing more things with the guests and people that are aligned to your show is a much better strategic decision. So this is the end of this episode of The Business of Podcasting. I want to thank you for tuning into this episode, and I hope you've been able to gain a lot of insight and value from my failures and mistakes across this journey. Now, if you're not already, please make sure you do like and subscribe to the show and get on our email list. Each and every week, I send out an email to my list to help podcasters grow their podcast, monetize their podcast, and all in all, just have a more successful podcast. So I'll make sure to put a link wherever you are viewing this episode so you can come and get that exclusive content. Thank you once again for tuning in. That's it for this episode.